But first, let's uh, cross to the U.S. and talk to uh, LBC's Washington correspondent, Simon Marks. Simon. Evening, Nick. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Very well. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek. Let's. Lieutenant Uhura has died. She has, uh, and I suspect, knowing her personality, she wouldn't mind if we suggested that Scotty had beamed her up. Nichelle Nichols, the actress who, of course, starred as Lieutenant Uhura in the first uh, three seasons, the original series of Star Trek, uh, alongside, of course, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and uh, all the other uh, classic actors who appeared in that iconic series. Uh, news of her death was announced at the age of 89 uh, by her son. She'd suffered from heart failure. She'd been battling ill health uh, in New Mexico for the last several months. I mean, she really was an iconic uh, actress in the United States with a very particular place in American entertainment history. Because when Gene Roddenberry, the man who, of course, created Star Trek and, and who deliberately wanted it to be a kind of socio-economic, uh, diverse melting pot. When he first uh, cast uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, to play Lieutenant Uhura, he knew and she knew that they were making history because up until then, uh, the vast majority of roles for black women on television in the United States had been in roles that were menial parts, uh, often playing servants uh, in white dominated households, that kind of thing. Yeah. Lieutenant Uhura was an officer on board the ship, highly skilled in communications technology and a key sort of part uh, of the management team surrounding uh, Captain Kirk, William Shatner. And at one point, she decided very early on that she was only going to do one series and then she was going to quit. And she'd actually told Gene Roddenberry that she was going to quit. He uh, asked her to reconsider over a weekend... By chance that weekend, she went to a fundraiser uh, for the NAACP, uh, civil rights uh, organization, and uh, she was told that one of the leading lights in the NAACP wanted to speak to her. And it turned out to be the Reverend Martin Luther King, who, st who was a huge Star Trek fan. And he wanted to congratulate her on the work that she'd done in the role. And she, she thanked him and she said, but I have to tell you, I've, I've just handed in notice and he said, you can't do that. You don't understand. You don't understand the role that you are playing as a role model for uh, young black men and women by taking on this part. And he talked her out of quitting. Hmm. Uh, and she stayed for the, the whole run of that, that first uh, uh, season, that first series, uh, three seasons of it, and, and then reprised the role later on in one of the Star Trek movies. But it's a, it's a sad loss here, being widely marked. And yes, you're, you're quite right. She was um, uh, sort of revolutionary in taking that role. But what was even perhaps more uh, shocking at the time was the first televised interracial kiss between um, her and um, uh, her and William Shatner. William yeah, Shatner. Absolutely. I mean, in the plot line, they were forced to do it by uh, the authorities on a, on a planet that they were visiting. Uh, but again, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, with uh, Nichelle Nichols and uh, William Shatner on this occasion, pushing the envelope, the producers knew how controversial this was going to be. Uh, it is widely believed to be the first 
interracial kiss on American television, and they decided that they were going to shoot an alternative scene, an alternative storyline, uh, because they were concerned that television stations across particularly the southern United States would refuse to transmit the episode that had the interracial kiss in it. So they wrote an alternative script, and William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols deliberately undermined every attempt, multiple takes, to film that alternative script because they also wanted to try and push the envelope and force those TV stations down in the South to confront reality. They wanted to break that glass ceiling. So uh, at the end of the day, Roddenberry and the other producers on the show said, right, let's scrub that alternative tape. We're just going to go with this one showing the interracial kiss. And they took a stand and it paid off. Huh. Is there anything you you don't know? <laughs> I, I promise you, I've never been to a Star Trek convention. Right. Um, right, let's talk about uh, Joe Biden. How can he have tested positive for COVID again? <laughs> well, apparently it can happen. Um, I have to say, I'm bound to say, and, and maybe I just have, I'm not as well-versed in COVID science as I might be in Star Trek. I was unaware... Uh, of the concept of a rebound positive uh, but that is what the White House physician is saying Joe Biden has had and apparently this is not unknown not uncommon and particularly can occur uh, in patients that have been treated with Paxlovid, that new antiviral uh, that is being used to uh, help uh, patients with COVID uh, infections and COVID symptoms. Uh, and, of course, uh, Joe Biden was on a course of that for five days until he initially tested negative, then returned uh, to work. Of course, he says he was working throughout while he had COVID in, in the White House residence, but he returned to the Oval Office, returned into circulation. They had plans for him to travel this coming week and then suddenly yesterday uh, we got a note from the White House physician saying uh, that he had once again tested positive and was returning to isolation. He's still testing positive today. Uh, they're not currently returning to any active treatment with Paxlovid or anything else because they say that he's not experiencing, experiencing any symptoms. Uh, but you know as, as, as callers to LBC have said on numerous occasions over the past few months uh, because they've been going through it, there are circumstances under which you can be testing positive long after you feel like you're completely over COVID-19 yeah. and quite what the White House will do if we find ourselves in, in that kind of a situation uh, is uh, very unclear. Joe Biden clearly hoping to get back to work and out of isolation in the course of the next few days. Yeah, particularly as um, he, he might be about to have um, at least one, if not a couple of wins, um, one specifically on climate change. Yeah, I mean, this time last week, uh, as regular listeners will remember, we uh, described Joe Biden's climate change agenda and all of those proposals that he pledged at the COP26 uh, meeting in Glasgow last year as dead on arrival because uh, Senator Joe Manchin, that Democrat, fellow Democrat of Joe Biden's from the conservative-leaning state of West Virginia, uh, had pulled out of endless talks that have been going on here for months to try and get the president's build back better initiative passed through congress and that seemed to be the death knell uh, because joe manchin was saying it was too inflationary he didn't believe all of this public spending uh, was going to help beat back inflation and therefore uh, the uh, senator who comes from a coal producing state uh, nuked everything, including the climate change provisions. 
One week later, he's had a rethink. There have been behind-the-scenes negotiations between him and the Democrat leader in the Senate, uh, Charles Schumer. Uh, and suddenly, uh, late in the week, compromise uh, appeared to have been agreed. White smoke was pouring out of the Capitol building uh, up on Capitol Hill, and there seems to be a deal. There is, of course, a caveat to all of this, which is that even though uh, moves have now been made to satisfy Senator Manchin, who now is convinced that this kind of diluted compromise isn't going to be as inflationary as he first feared, it is still not an absolute given that they've done enough to win the support of another recalcitrant Democrat, uh, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. So there's still some doubt about whether this thing will finally be dragged across the finishing line. But certainly at the White House, they've got more reason to be uh, confident and optimistic this Monday morning uh, than they did a week ago, a, 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 a week back uh, from where we are now. Right. Well, um, West Virginia is a long way away, but Arizona, quite near to the west coast of the United States, which much of which is on fire at the moment. So that might actually concentrate mines. Yes. Yes. Well, there is there, there is every possibility that that will concentrate mines. I mean, uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema has different concerns than uh, uh, Joe Manchin had uh, with regard to this package, but I think there's undoubtedly been behind the scenes outreach to her uh, this weekend, perhaps while was in isolation president biden was letting his fingers do the walking in a bid to try and make sure that she backs it because remember it's a 50 50 senate mm. and to get this done he's he can't afford to lose a single democrat vote and that's why this has proved to be so problematic right meanwhile uh, nancy pelosi uh, may be <laughs> shot out of the air <laughs> by china What's or, going on there? Maybe or not. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has begun a tour of Asia. And in a tweet before she headed out earlier today, she said that she's going to be traveling to Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea and Japan to hold high level meetings to discuss how we can further our shared interests and values. Nothing wrong with any of that. But what she fails to address in that tweet is whether she is or is not going to set foot in Taiwan, uh, which, of course, China claims as its own. Uh, and the United States has been taking increasingly um, pugnacious steps over the last few months in a bid to defend uh, the concept uh, of democracy in Taiwan from the threat that the United States says it faces from the mainland uh, Chinese government government. Uh, now, she would become the highest-ranking U.S. government official to set foot on Taiwanese soil since 1997. She is second in line for the presidency after Vice President Kamala Harris. The Chinese have issued very strenuous warnings uh, about what they describe as forceful countermeasures that they will take if she heads to Taiwan. President Biden himself a few days ago conceded that the Pentagon was advising that she should not go, that the visit was not going to be helpful. She has never uh, declaratively said, I'm going to Taiwan, and it's interesting that in this statement today, it's not on the list of destinations. There is some speculation here that 
that there might have been a bit of a deal struck between President Biden and Xi Jinping over this, that Nancy Pelosi's official list of stops would not include Taiwan, but that she might visit Taipei in her unofficial capacity. And I, quite how that makes a difference to the Chinese, I'm, I'm very unclear. Mm. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting in, in the days ahead to see whether she actually goes or not. It's very curious because you would imagine that if Joe Biden didn't want her to go, he'd pick up the phone and say, Nancy, cut it out, don't mm. go. But they've been bending over backwards at the White House to say that uh, she's the Speaker of the House of Representatives. The legislature, Congress, is a co-equal branch of government. She's got the right to make the decision from which I think you can only surmise that Joe Biden actually wouldn't mind if she went, provided it doesn't uh, cause absolute furore with China. Yes. And finally... <laughs> <laughs> In more ways than one. Yes. Donald Trump <laughs> is um, accused of burying his ex-wife Ivana at his Bedminster Golf Club to gain a tax break. How does that work? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, to be fair, the story has been slightly overwritten, but certainly Ivana Trump's final resting place is not far, I believe, from the 18th hole uh, at the President's Bedminster Golf Club, and by um, operating a cemetery uh, at Bedminster or anywhere else, uh, the former President of the United States or anyone else uh, can enjoy uh, tax breaks on the land that they own but there's actually a bigger story here uh, because this has been going on now for many years donald trump's intent to build a family mausoleum uh, near that 18th hole at bedminster for members of the trump family and then to sell plots commercially around the mausoleum uh, to any Americans that would dearly like to spend oblivion <laughs> alongside the former president and members of his family. And local residents have been up in arms, uh, sort of campaigning against this, but he owns the land, he owns the golf club, and uh, they have very much pushed ahead with this plan. And I think that to see Ivana Trump, who of course uh, passed away just a couple of weeks ago, uh, suffering a fall at her home in New York, now being placed on that terrain in Bedminster sends a very clear message that they're absolutely determined not just to build that mausoleum, but also to market the plots, which themselves, uh, you know, have the potential to sell for substantial amounts of money to those people who might fancy the idea of rubbing shoulders with Donald Trump in the afterlife. Who among us wouldn't want to be part of that? Well, maybe it'll be more successful than Trump states because, <laughs> yes. after all, the customers can't complain, can they? Have you, no, have, you, no. have you seen the grave? It's the I, most. I have seen the grave. It's yeah, the most yeah. rudimentary grave you've ever seen in your life. I it's mean, certainly unfinished. It, <laughs> I mean, it's akin to. Well, why didn't he just throw her in the skip behind the restaurant and be done with it? I'm presuming there'll be some sort of a topping out ceremony to come or whatever they, 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 they do to make it well, slightly I'm, more I'm formal. But sure it certainly looks like there was a desire uh, to um, place her there uh, before anybody had the chance to say, you're putting her where? <laughs> I'm sure it'll be very tasteful when it's yeah, finished. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> Simon Marks, LBC's Washington correspondent.